Welcome to Lessons from the Helpful Dead, where you'll learn the world is not what it seems and you are much more than you think you are. Here you'll learn about positive and reassuring messages from supposedly dead people whose main purpose is to help us. Find out what happens after we die, why we're here, how we got here, where we're going, and discover that you are really a powerful, eternal spirit. I'm Dan McEnany. During the past week, I've become aware of some disturbing things. I did not know the extent to which the World Economic Forum, those people who gather in Switzerland, the global elite who want to pretty much control the world, I did not know the extent to which they openly admire China. I did not know that Klaus Schwab, the CEO, of the World Economic Forum. I did not know that he was the son of one of Hitler's biggest supporters in World War II. Uh, Klaus Schwab holds up China as an ideal nation that we could all (coughs) emulate. And uh, so does Trudeau, the person currently running uh, Canada, rather. Trudeau, like Schwab, openly get up and address the forum of, quote, world leaders, close quote, uh, in their admiration of China and all that it stands for. China, as it stands today, as you may know, was really uh, formed and created by Mao Zedong, um, and he followed the Marxist-Stalinist playbook. And, of course, the Marxist ideology Uh, says there's no God and there should be no nuclear family. Uh, Now, I also learned that the World Health Organization, which is linked in some ways to the World Economic Forum, they want to limit human freedoms. They consider humans a blight upon the earth. Uh, And uh, they are contemplating some treaties and rules and laws by which they could uh, govern most nations of the earth. And uh, these are very strict, and uh, they're not really very favorable to to humans, kind of anti-human, right? Now, this is in direct contradiction to uh, what Seth pointed out in the last couple of sessions, and that is that any individual has the potential to become an important co-creator of reality, and an advanced spirit who knows its own uh, immense power. So we have uh, the concept of no God, and no nuclear family, which is also a direct contradiction to Seth, which tells us there is indeed a God, right? Uh, and we have the uh, the World Health Organization, which kind of goes along with the World Economic Forum. So I felt this would be a good time uh, to go back and look at Seth's explanation of God. Uh, and, you know, I've treated the, the Seth's explanation of God in previous episodes. I mentioned that he says God is the simultaneous infinite explosion of all that is, or just plain all that is. Um, And I've also talked about uh, the primal dilemma uh, in the past sessions where it was mentioned there was a sea of spirit uh, and uh, 
I took some of that from Jess Stern's book on Edgar Cayce. Anyway, <clears throat> those who are satisfied with t- your traditional notion of God, heaven, hell, reward, punishment, if that's what you believe in and it's working for you, stick with it. Right? But <clears throat> for those who don't accept or don't easily uh, understand that notion of God, the danger is that you might accept atheism or the Marxist notions that are being pushed by the World Economic Forum and by the World Health Organization. So uh, that, that atheist Marxist notion uh, is sometimes what people go to if they don't believe in the traditional notion. So I think it's important for me to read uh, from Jane Roberts' material some of Seth's explanation about um, the nature of God and the, the primal dilemma. And I'm going to uh, read that now. It's uh, actually, I came across it again in the uh, first book, The Seth Material, which shares what they call one of the thumbnail passages that, uh, passages rather, that explain Seth's concept of God. I think this is uh, better and more detailed than my previous discussion, so I will proceed to read it now. He uses the pronoun he once or twice, but obviously he's explaining that uh, God is beyond the notion of the sexes. So here's what he said. He is not human in your terms, though he passed through human stages. And here the Buddhist myth becomes closest to approximating reality. He's not one individual, but an energy gestalt. And you remember a gestalt is a degree of complexity of a, a consciousness form. If you remember what I said about the way in which the universe expands, that it has nothing to do with space, then you may perhaps dimly perceive the existence of a psychic pyramid of interrelated, ever-expanding consciousness that creates simultaneously and instantaneously universes and individual individuals that are given through the gifts of personal perspective duration, psychic comprehension, intelligence, and eternal validity. That's you and me. We're the individuals that are given those gifts, right? Duration, psychic comprehension, intelligence, and eternal validity. This absolute, ever-expanding, instantaneous psychic gestalt, which you may call God if you prefer, is so secure in its existence that it can constantly break itself down and rebuild itself. Its energy is so unbelievable that it does indeed form all universes. And because its energy is within and behind all universes, systems, and fields, it is indeed aware of each sparrow that falls, for it is each sparrow that falls. Uh, you might remember the song, of course, was based on the, the Bible that God's aware of each, each sparrow when it falls. Anyway, continuing. As mentioned earlier, however, the Seth material does not ignore deeper questions having to do with the beginning of consciousness and of reality. I really think that this partic- particular material can hold its own with the best phys- metaphysical writings of our time. This is uh, uh, not Seth talking, but uh, uh, Jane. For this reason, I'm continuing this chapter with excerpts from various uh, other sessions, uh, and here they are. Your idea of space and time is determined by your neurological structure. 
The camouflage is so craftily executed and created by the inner self, and that's part of you, of course, inner self, big self, and you, the ego, <clears throat> that you must of necessity focus your attention on the phys physical reality that's been created. And we've talked about that a lot. The psychedelic drugs <clears throat> alter the neurological workings and therefore can give some slight glimpse into other realities. These realities exist, of course, whether or not you perceive them. Actually, time exists as the pulses leap over the uh, leap the nerve ends. You must then experience lapses, as this is not a simultaneous procedure. Past, present, and future appear highly convincing and logical when there must be a lapse between each perceived experience. There is no such lapse in many other personality structures. Events are simultaneously perceived. Reactions are also nearly instantaneous in your terms. Growth and challenge are provided not in terms of achievement or development in time, but instead in terms of intensities. Such a personality is able not only to react to and appreciate event A, say in your present time, but to experience and understand event A in all of its ramifications and probabilities. Obviously, such personalities need far more than the neurological systems with which you are presently equipped. Your own neurological system is physical, but it is based upon your own inner capabilities as of, quote, now. It is the materialization of an inner psychic framework. Many other personality structures do not need a materialized perceptive framework such as this, but an inner psychic organization is always present. Your time, past, present, and future as you conceive it, would be experienced entirely as present to many of these personalities. However, your past, present, and future would be experienced entirely as past to still other personality structures. Imagine past, present, and future then as a single line delineation of experience in your terms. The line, however, continuing indefinitely. Other personality structures from other dimensions could then theoretically observe it from an infinity of viewpoints. However, there's much more than this. The single line representing physical experience is merely the surface thread along which you seem to travel. It is all of the thread that you perceive. So when you envision other dimensions, you are forced to think in terms of observers far above the thread, looking down upon it from any given viewpoint. In actuality, following the image through, and strictly as an analogy, there would also be an infinite number of threads both above and below your own, all part of one inconceivably miraculous webwork. Yet each thread would not be one-dimensional, but of many dimensions, and conceivably, if you knew how, there would be ways of leapfrogging from one thread to the other. You would not be forced to follow any particular thread in a single-line fashion. Now, there are personalities developed enough to do this. Each act of leaping, so to speak, forms a new thread. Following through with the analogy, imagine yourself A. We will start you off in physical reality on thread A, though you've already traversed many other threads to get where you are. Without shortcuts or even average progression, any such self A would travel thread A along the narrow line toward infinity. At some point, however... Thread A would turn into thread B. In the same manner, thread B would turn into thread C, and so forth. At some inconceivable point, all of the threads would be traversed. 
Now on thread A, self A would not be aware in his present of the future selves on the other threads. Only by meeting one of these other selves can he become aware of the nature of the strange structure through which he's traveling. There is, however, a self who has already traveled these routes, of whom other selves are but part. This self, in dreams and dissociated conditions, communicates with the various, quote, ascending, close quote, selves. As this self grows in value fulfillment, which we've discussed in the past, he can become aware of these travelers on other threads, who would seem to him to be future selves. Now, all, all of this sounds complicated, but only because we must deal with words. I hope that intuitively you'll be able to understand it. In the meantime, the overall self is forming new threads of activity, you see. The frameworks that it leaves, quote, behind can be used by others. The purpose is, quite simply, being as opposed to non-being. I am telling you what I know, and there is much I do not know. I know that help must be given one to the other, and that extension and expansions are aids to being. Now, and all this would seem like a contradiction in terms, there is non-being. <laughs> <That's, laughs> there is non-being. It is a state not of nothingness, but a, a state in which probabilities and possibilities are known and anticipated but blocked from expansion. Now we're getting close to the dilemma here. Dimly, through what you would call history, hardly remembered, there was such a state. It was a state of agony in which the powers of creativity and existence were known, but the ways to produce them were not known. This is the lesson that all that is, that's God, right? This is the lesson that all that is had to learn and that could not be taught. This is the agony from which creativity originally was drawn and its reflection is still seen. So that's, that's the primal dilemma. Uh, now here goes, uh, she, she says, Seth uses the word God sparingly, uh, usually uh, speaking to students who are used to thinking of it in theological terms. As a rule, he speaks of all that is or primary energy gestalts. And we've seen that from past discussions, it'd be all that is or a primary energy gestalt. Continuing with Seth, some of this discussion is bound to be distorted because I must explain it to you in terms of time as you understand it. So I will speak for your benefit of some indescribably distant past in which these occurred. All that is retains memory of that state, and it serves as a constant impetus, in your terms, toward renewed creativity. Each self, as a part of all that is, therefore also retains memory of that state. It is for this reason that each minute consciousness is endowed with the impetus towards survival, change, development, and creativity. It's not enough that all that is as a primary consciousness gestalt desires further being, but that each portion of it also carries this determination, uh, much uh, in contradiction to the World Economic Forum and uh, China and Marx and what have you. Continuing, yet the agony itself was used as a means and the agony itself served as an impetus, strong enough so all that is initiated within itself the means to be. If, and this is impossible, all portions but the most minute last unit of all that is were destroyed, all that is would continue. 
For within the smallest portion is the innate knowledge of the whole. All that is protects itself, therefore, and all that it has and is and will create. When I speak of all that is, you must understand my position within it. All that is knows no other. This does not mean there may not be more to know. It does not know whether or not other psychic gestalts like it may exist. That's an interesting concept there. Huh? Other gods, really. It is not aware of them if they do exist. It is constantly searching. It knows that something else existed before its own primary dilemma, when it could not express itself. It is conceivable, then, that it has evolved in your terms so long ago that it has forgotten its origin, that it has developed from still another primary, which has, again in your terms, long since gone its way. So there are answers that I cannot give you, for they are not known anywhere in the system in which we have our existence. We do know that within this system of our all that is, creation continues and developments are never still. We can deduce that on still other layers of which we are unaware, the same is true. The first state of agonized search for expression may have represented the birth throes of all that is as we know it. Pretend then that you possessed within yourself the knowledge of all the world's masterpieces in sculpture and art, that they pulsed as realities within you, but you had no physical apparatus, no knowledge of how to achieve them, that there was neither rock nor pigment nor source of any of these, and you ached with the yearning to produce them. This, on an infinitesimally small scale, will perhaps give you, as an artist, he was addressing to Rob Jane's husband, would give you as an artist some idea of the agony and the impetus that was, was felt. Desire, wish, and expectation rule all actions and are the basis for all realities. Within all that is, therefore, the wish, desire, and expectation of creativity existed before all other actuality. The strength and vitality of these desires and expectations then became, in your terms, so insupportable that all that is was driven to find the means to produce them. In other words, all that is existed in a state of being but without the means to find expression for its being. This was the state of agony of which I spoke. Yet it's doubtful that without this period of contracted yearning, all that is could concentrate its energy sufficiently enough to create the realities that existed in probable suspension within it. The agony and the desire to create represented its proof of its own reality. The feelings, in other words, were adequate, adequate proof to all that is that it was. Huh? It meaning God. At first, in your terms, all of probable reality existed as nebulous dreams within the consciousness of all that is. Later, the unspecific nature of these dreams grew more particular and vivid. The dreams became recognizable one from the other until they drew the conscious notice of all that is. And with curiosity and yearning, all that is paid more attention to its own dreams. It then purposely gave them more and more detail and yearned toward this diversity and grew to love that which was not yet separate from itself. It gave consciousness and imagination to personalities while they were still but within its dreams. They also yearned to be actual. Potential individuals in your terms had consciousness 
before the beginning, or any beginning as you know it then. They clamored to be released into actuality, and all that is, in unspeakable sympathy, sought within itself for the means. In its massive imagination, it understood the cosmic multiplication of consciousness that could not occur without that, within that framework. So here it's necessary that he gives them free will, see? Actuality was necessary if these probabilities were to be given birth. All that is saw then an infinity of probable conscious individuals and foresaw all possible developments, but they were locked within it until it found the means. This was, in your terms, a primary cosmic dilemma, the primal dilemma, right? And one with which it wrestled until all that it was was completely involved and enveloped within the cosmic problem. Had it not solved it, all that is would have faced insanity and there would have been literally a reality without reason and a universe run wild. Wild. The pressure came from two sources, from the conscious but still probable individual selves who found themselves alive in a God's dream and from the God who yearned to release them. On the other hand, you could say that the pressure existed simply on the part of the God since the creation existed within its dream. But such tremendous power resides in such primary gestalts that even their dreams are endowed with vitality and reality. This, then, is the dilemma of any primary pyramid gestalt. It creates reality. It also recognized within each consciousness the massive potential that existed. The means then came to it. It must release the creatures and probabilities from its dream. Okay, so in re releasing them, of course, it gives them the free will. To do so would give them actuality. However, it also meant losing a portion of its own consciousness. That losing is in quotes. For it was within that portion that they were held in bondage. All that is had to let go. While it thought of these individuals as its creations, it helped them, helped them as a, it held them as a part of itself and refused them actuality. To let them go was to lose that portion of itself, that's in quotes, lose, was to lose that portion of itself that had created them. Already it could scarcely keep up with the myriad uh, probabilities that began to emerge from each separate consciousness. With love and longing, it let go that portion of itself and they were free. The psychic energy exploded in a flash of creation. And that's why our freedoms and our free will are so important. And that, of course, is what uh, the World Economic Forum wants to end, as, so, as does the World Health Organization. <laughs> all right, so, uh, all that is, therefore, lost a portion, quote, lost again in quotes, lost a portion of itself in that creative endeavor. All that is loves all that, that it has created, down to the least. For it realizes the dearness and uniqueness of each consciousness which has been wrest from such a state and at such a price. It is triumphant and joyful at each development taken by each consciousness. That's each of us individual selves. For this is an added triumph against that first state. And it, with a capital I, it revels and takes joy in the slightest creative act of each of its issues. That's you and me. It of itself and from that state has given life to infinities of probabilities, possibilities rather, 
From its agony, it found the way to burst forth in freedom through expression, and in so doing gave existence to individualized consciousness. Therefore, <clears throat> is it rightfully jubilant. Yet all individuals remember their source, and now dream of all that is as all that is once dreamed of them. And they yearn toward that immense source. They yearn to set it free and give it actuality through their own creations. The motivating force is still all that is, but individuality is no illusion. Now in the same way do you give freedom to the personality fragments, fragments within your own dreams and for the same reason. And you create for the same reason. And within each of you is the memory of that primal agony, that urge to create and free all probable consciousness into actuality. I have been sent to help you, and others have been sent through the centuries of your time. For as you develop, you also form new dimensions, and you will help others. These connections between you and all that is can never be severed. And its awareness is so delicate and focused that its attention is indeed directed with a prime creator's love to each consciousness. This overall pyramid gestalt is not static. Most of your God concepts deal with the static God. And here's one of your main theological difficulties. The awareness and experience of this gestalt constantly changes and grows. There is no static God. When you say this is God, then God is already something else. I am using the term God for simplicity's sake. All portions of all that is are constantly changing, enfolding and unfolding. All that is seeking to know itself constantly creates new versions of itself, for this seeking itself is a creative activity and the core of all action. Entities being action always shift and change. There's nothing arbitrary about their boundaries. Some personalities can be a part of more than one entity. Like fish, they can swim in other streams. Within them is the knowledge of all their relationships. Any personality can become an entity on its own. This involves a highly developed knowledge of the use of energy and its intensities. As atoms have mobility, so do psychological structures. That's important because any personality, right? and, and um, it's talking about the, the least of us, whereas the World Economic Forum and who are saying, well, you, humans really are a blight upon the earth. All right. So consciousness seeking to know itself therefore knows you. You, as a consciousness, seek to know yourself and become aware of yourself as a distinct individual portion of all that is. You not only draw upon this overall energy, but you do so automatically since your existence is dependent on it. There's no personal God-individual in Christian terms, and yet you do have access to a portion of all that is, a portion highly attuned to you. There's a portion of all that is directed and focused within each individual residing within each consciousness. Each consciousness is therefore cherished and individually protected. This portion of overall consciousness is individualized within you. The personality of God is generally conceived as a one-dimensional concept based upon man's small knowledge of his own psychology. What you prefer to think of as God is again an energy gestalt or a pyramid consciousness. It's aware of, aware of itself as being, for instance, you, Joseph, that's uh, uh, Jane Roberts' husband. <clears throat> it is aware of itself as the smallest seed. This portion of all that is that is aware of itself as you, that is focused within your existence, can be called upon for help 
when necessary. This portion is also aware of itself as something more than you. This portion that knows itself as you, and as more than you, is the personal God you see. Again, this gestalt, this portion of all that is, looks out for your interests and may be called upon in a personal manner. Prayer contains its own answer. And if there is no white-haired, kind old Father God to hear, then there is instead the initial and ever-expanding energy that forms everything that is and of which each human being is a part. This psychic gestalt may sound impersonal to you, but since its energy forms your person, how can this be? If you prefer to call the supreme psychic gestalt God, then you must not attempt to objectify him, for he is the nuclei of yourselves and more intimate than your breath. You are co-creators. What you call God is the sum of all consciousness, and yet the whole is more than the sum of its parts. God is more than the sum of all personalities, and yet all personalities are what he is. There is constant creation. There is within you a force that knew how to grow you from a fetus to a grown adult. This force is part of the innate knowledge within all consciousness, and it is part of the God within you. The responsibility for your life and your world is indeed yours. It has not been forced upon you by some outside agency. You form your own dreams, and you form your own physical reality. The world is what you are. It is the physical materialization of the inner selves which have formed it. All right, I'm going to stop here. Uh, Seth uh, then goes on to talk about Christ, and we've dealt with that uh, in uh, previous episodes. But the important point of all this is that there is an intellectually satisfying explanation of the nature of God which directly contradicts Marxism. Marxism. And admittedly, these ideas are complex, and for those of you who are interested, it uh, bears listening to again. Once again, I'm Dan McEnany, bringing you lessons from the helpful dead.